0: Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. On the pod today, we have the founder of Vox.com, Ezra Klein, as was going to walk through all this healthcare stuff with us. Before we get going, check out, as always, Pod Save the World this week. Tommy interviews the Obama administration's former ambassador to Russia, Mike McFaul. It's a great interview. Uh, and also tomorrow, Anna Marie Cox on With Friends Like These interviews Republican strategist Rick Wilson. So uh, Rick is pretty funny. So check uh, check that out tomorrow. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule Damn. is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you Have know. Have you what been able to this.
1: squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John?
0: Yeah, that's I think it's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do. More of it mm-hmm. More time for you I uh, you know because we've been doing what a weekday mm-hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot You know I, I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast mm. It was a huge mistake So uh, what do you spend time doing in therapy now Well now I brought therapy back I okay, added therapy good, back good. to good. another time Because uh, it turns out talking. that's about- going to make the jokes better <laughs>
2: Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at Crooked.com slash store for this month only.
0: Um, okay, so we got a lot of healthcare news to talk about today, but let's do, do all of our non-healthcare news first, if there's anything else in the news that we care to speak about. Uh, <laughs> one, thing, one thing you mentioned to me, Dan, was there was a little dinner at the White House last night.
3: Yeah, can I, ra- can I run a hypothetical by you? Please. Alright, let's say... Let's say that I went on national television and insulted Emily, and then I went on national television and suggested that your father was responsible for killing JFK. Would you accept my invite to dinner after that?
0: After I called you a sniveling coward and a sociopath?
3: <laughs> when
0: I, and I called you a narcissist and a pathological liar? Uh, yeah, sure. Let's, let's break bread. <laughs> I
3: hear there's great meatloaf at the White House. Let's go have it.
0: (laughs) Yes, Ted Cruz and Heidi Cruz went to the White House last night to dine with Donald and Melania Trump. No word on whether there was any apologies exchanged there, but there was a cute picture of Ted Cruz's kids at the Resolute desk
3: in the Oval. So it looks like all has been forgotten. I'm sure there was an apology. I'm sure Ted Cruz apologized to Donald Trump. (laughs) Man. I, I, I went back and looked. I forgot <laughs> that, like, I remember the JFK assassination. I remember him calling uh, Heidi Cruz, the President Trump calling Heidi Cruz ugly. But I had forgotten that some super PAC used an inappropriate photo of Melania in an ad. And, and Donald Trump tweeted, I just heard Ted Cruz used photo of Melania be careful, or I will spill the goods on Heidi Cruz.
0: Yeah, spill the beans. <laughs> what? What, what, what are those? We don't know. Maybe they talked. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they talked about that at dinner last night. Um, oh, man. I mean, I mean, in healthcare news, apparently Ted Cruz is is there to uh, like he was going to speak on behalf of the House conservatives that didn't like the bill. Um, so um, I don't know if he probably. Continued poisoning the, uh, poisoning the well there for Paul Ryan's uh, ill-begotten health care bill, but uh, who knows? At least they had a good time. Ted Cruz, the big conscience. Remember his speech at the Republican conventions when he told everyone to vote their conscience? <laughs> yes.
3: yes. <laughs> uh, no one— no one debases themselves like Ted Cruz. It's basically the story of his life.
0: I don't know. There's a lot of people who debase themselves. <laughs> Marco Rubio. That's true.
3: That's true. Sean Spicer every day. <laughs> Sean
0: Spicer, Paul Ryan, <laughs> Jason Chaffetz. Yes. There's a lot of Republican politicians debasing themselves these days. That's actually yeah. the root of our problems yeah. as a country. <laughs> it's why we. It's why we have Trump. It's why uh, there's this awful health care bill moving through the Congress. It's Republican politicians yeah. debasing themselves and not even standing yes. on their own principles. Uh, that... I
3: would like to coin the term the dignity deficit.
0: <laughs> oh, no. That's like in a like a bad PowerPoint presentation at like a David Brock retreat. Um
3: no, that's going to that's gonna be my TED Talk.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, speaking of conspiracies, the, 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 since we got into the, J, the uh, Ted Cruz's dad assassinated JFK conspiracy, um, you know, it's been, I don't know how many days since Donald Trump tweeted out that uh, our old boss wiretapped Trump Tower and uh, still no yes. evidence.
3: No, none. <laughs>
0: Absolutely nothing. Man. Um, so I don't know if you but, saw, there were a few stories about Obama's reaction to this. Uh, in the Wall Street Journal, yeah. Carol Lee said that he was livid. Um, but then uh, Jeff Zeleny of CNN said he was more irked. And Peter Alexander of NBC just said he rolled his eyes. I would say that uh, Jeff and Peter probably have better sourcing there.
3: Yeah, uh, and I have not... I mean, maybe you have, but I have not talked to the former president about since then I have since not. this happened. Um, but I'm gonna get knowing him. I'm gonna livid is not he how he would react to something like this. He doesn't really livid do is how he like gets when the healthcare website breaks. Right. <laughs> I would go with eye roll or irked. Probably would be. He's a pretty cool guy. In, in I mean, although it is fair to say that the president elect uses Twitter. The president uses Twitter account to uh, accuse Barack Obama of a felony, but. I mean, I don't, he's got a his, his life seems pretty pretty good these days.
0: Yeah, I think Barack Obama is going to save getting livid for you know if Obamacare is fully repealed and millions of people lose their health insurance, or you know Donald Trump continues to deport more undocumented immigrants, or like things that are actually going to uh, hurt people's lives. I think that Donald Trump, being Donald Trump, and lying about him is something he's dealt with for the last eight years. Since you know that's where the whole birther conspiracy came from. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, this is old hat. Okay,
0: healthcare. Last night, or th- rather this morning, at 4:30 a.m., the American Healthcare Act, A.K.A. Trump Care, was voted out of committee uh, in the House with no changes and no analysis of how much it costs or how many people it would cover. Um, Seventeen hours of debate, and that was that.
3: Yes. What do you think of that? What do you Are think? we calling it Trump care? Uh,
0: <laughs> what it do it I Trump think of care. that? Trump I, care. I called it I – I thought it was not health care, but it was wealth care. How's that, Dan?
3: <laughs> oh, that is some I decided to throw that on Twitter the other day. Stuff. I was like
0: I – re- I told Love it, I was like, I realize this is something you'd see on a step and repeat at a House press conference. <laughs> but yes. nonetheless, yes. It, I mean, we, we, we can get to the substance of the bill a lot more with uh, Ezra because he knows these things and we do not. But um I will say this is basically one giant this legislation is one giant tax cut for rich people disguised as healthcare reform and it is a very poor disguise.
3: <laughs> yes. The uh, I would say one note I would say that if we were working at the White House and someone had emailed you to suggest that we that we call it welfare you would have thrown your computer at a wall you would have emailed to all of us to make fun of that person and then thrown your computer at a wall yeah like that that would have been your reaction to wealth care for sure so you've changed you've changed um (laughs) like
0: i said i did it in half but we're in tough times you know
3: right right in uh i mean in trump's defense voters all across michigan wisconsin pennsylvania (laughs) flocked to the polls because they believed two things millionaires needed bigger tax cuts and insurance companies could not deduct the massive salaries of their CEOs, and so he's really responding to his base with this bill.
0: Do you think? Uh, before we get into this, I tweeted this yesterday. Do you think Trump could spend three minutes, maybe even maybe I'll even give him two minutes, explaining what was in this bill? I heard him at the uh, the pool spray yesterday when he was meeting. He's in some meeting, and that you know the cameras were on and he was just like. This is going to be a great plan. You know what the plan is? It's the plan. It means everyone gets a choice. Everyone gets to see a doctor. It's great. That's it. Like if a real journalist, meaning someone who's not on Fox um, or part of Breitbart (laughs) or like LifeZet, if any real journalist sat with Donald Trump and, and sat with him for two minutes to ask him questions about what was in this bill, I guarantee you he could not tell you what was in it.
3: No, he would be 100% wrong. I'm also very glad you brought up that Trump quote because the last thing Hallie said to me before she left work today, mm-hmm. left for work, was tell John to read the Trump quote and then I forgot to text you. So There you really go. you saved me there. channeling Hallie. Yeah. No,
0: it was How, absurd. T- Hallie. It was ridiculous. He didn't know. It didn't say anything. He doesn't know what's in this fucking bill.
3: <laughs> no. He knows, he knows nothing about health care. Nothing. <laughs> But that's because he, I mean, watched, he doesn't even have a watches, real
0: doctor. That's because his 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 news sources are down to Fox and Friends.
3: <laughs> like we used to
0: like he, we used to be getting information from Morning Joe, which yeah, and then he used to be getting information from CNN. But he now he hates CNN and he hates Morning Joe. So his only source of news in the morning is Fox and Friends, and like those people don't know what the fuck they're doing. So he doesn't you know he's certainly not reading his briefing papers. Basically what this bill does, and again, we're going to get into all the details later, um, it's Obamacare, but a lot less of it. It it takes the money that the government used to help poor and middle class people buy health insurance. And it takes that money and it gives a $600 billion tax cut to the rich. Uh, As you said, Dan, that includes a $500,000 tax cut for health insurance executives because they certainly need the money. And then it keeps most everything else in place, including all of the problems um, with the Affordable Care Act, then you know, and there are still there are problems with the Affordable Care Act. It's not perfect legislation, but this reform bill or this replacement bill does not solve any of the problems that had that the bill. So, like after complaining that copays and deductibles were too high in Obamacare, copays and deductibles will be significantly higher under this bill. The cost for the average Obamacare enrollee. Go up by $1,500 a year. In 2020, they go up by $2,500 a year. And the S&P has said up to $10 million would lose their health insurance. We are still waiting for a score from the Congressional Budget Office. For those of you who don't know, the Congressional Budget Office is a bunch of number-crunching nerds who are not Democrats or Republicans, but just number people and they, every bill that comes out of Congress, they, um, they try to tell you how much it costs, what it will do, and they do it in a nonpartisan way. And the Republicans decided they do not want the CBO looking at this bill before they vote on it. I wonder why.
3: Which is, which is the opposite position. Oh, this is going to shock you, but Paul Ryan had the opposite position when we were trying to pass health care in 2009. Yeah. He thought it was very important that the CBO rate the bill. And then he didn't like what the CBO said because it said that healthcare was paid for and reduced the deficit and that uh, went counter to his beliefs that the only way to reduce the deficit is by taking money away from poor people. I was – like this is the way I think to best describe passing a major piece of legislation without the CBO. It was the equivalent of agreeing to buy a house without knowing what it costs or how many rooms were in it
0: you saw that the, it's been going on on twitter this like screenshot of some fox news show that was like things still unknown about the bill how much it costs how many people it will cover <laughs>
3: <laughs> the things we yeah, know okay it has a name yes
0: it has a name and it's going mean, to help the, rich people
3: yeah i think it is worth like there, is, one of the things that There has been a wee bit of criticism over the fact that they're trying to jam through this bill in three days and without a CBO score. And it's worth noting that they – there were a lot of process critiques of how the Democrats handled the passage of the Affordable Care Act. But it's worth noting that it took us more than a year to pass that bill Mm -hmm. through many open committee hearings, markups, CBO score, all of that – and these people are trying to jam it through in I mean sixty hours and with it went through a markup with zero changes. Not a single change. Is that is that because perhaps is, is that because they wrote a perfect bill? No. It's because they're trying to jam it through as fast as they possibly can before anyone can find out what's in it, including the members mm. of Congress who voted for it.
0: The number of times Republicans have used the term jamming it through to describe Obamacare, which like you said, took one miserable year of our lives. <laughs> I rem- remember, like, writing the first speech. It's like the it's like a six thousand word fucking speech on Obamacare uh, in like February, March of two thousand and nine. I think that was the speech. He talked all about bending the cost curve and you know ref- you know all these reforms that uh, Atul Gawande really likes, and no one really understood in in uh, <laughs> anywhere else. But were really smart reforms. Good ad-
3: Good a Gawande name check. Hey man,
0: you know I'm deep in you know the he- like I'm, I'm deep Ezra in the healthcare policy wonk community. I'm, I'm i had to yeah, bone yes. up on it because we have Ezra on today.
3: Yeah. Um, I no, remember so, I remember when you told us that quote unquote bending the cost curve was gonna be the new new deal.
0: <laughs> it's part of the new foundation, Dan. Um, so we <laughs> right. Yeah, so that started in March. Then we had a full summer of Tea Party town halls, town halls where Tea Party members protested. Uh, And then Obama gave a speech to Congress around Labor Day in September to try to get Democrats on board. It was a speech to the public, the primetime address uh, where Joe Wilson said he lied, Uh, shouted that you lie in the speech. And then we had like another fall. We had a special election where Scott Brown won after Ted Kennedy passed away. We thought the bill was dead. We kept going. I mean, it was a year long drama. Compare that to uh, 17 hours of debate in the Ways and Means Committee. The bill introduced on Monday, and they want to vote on it as soon as possible. And Mitch McConnell has promised a vote uh, in the Senate by April. That's, and and that, that's, that's how fast they're going. It is unbelievable.
3: You, well, let's know. talk a little bit about the reaction to said bill. Sure. Do people like this bill, John?
0: <laughs> uh, I, don't, I cannot find anyone who likes the bill. Um, here, here's who likes the bill. Uh, Donald Trump says he likes the bill, but again, we know we know he doesn't know what's in there. Um, Paul Ryan certainly likes the bill. Uh, although, you know what, Paul Ryan House Speaker likes the bill. If, if Paul Ryan, if John Boehner was Speaker still and Paul Ryan was just uh, the darling of intellectual conservatives everywhere sitting in the House of Representatives, you know that Paul Ryan would be against this bill too. Um, but now he's speaker, and so he has to do things like this. So Paul Ryan likes the bill. Uh, Donald Trump likes the bill. The Wall Street Journal editorial board likes the bill, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce likes the bill. That's who you got. Uh, on the other side, people are opposed to the bill. Healthcare groups: the American Health Association, the American Hospital Association, the American Medical Association, the AARP, nurses, doctors. On the right, American Freedom Work, uh, Freedom Works. Americans for Prosperity, Heritage, uh, 100 members of the House Freedom Caucus who represent the most conservative members of the House. Um, four Republican senators said they couldn't support the Medicaid cuts. Three Republican senators say it's too much like Obamacare, not conservative enough. Um, no, none of the wonks like it. None of the liberal wonks. None of the conservative wonks. It's hard to find a constituency for this bill, Then
3: You know who else doesn't like it?
0: People? Breitbart <laughs> Breitbart ah that's right good call I forgot about that yes Breitbart is uh is yeah. the the uh honeymoon's over yeah between Breitbart and the White House Matt- I,
3: I I guess what we discovered is that Breitbart's hatred for Paul Ryan exceeds its love for Donald Trump
0: yeah I mean well those uh, what a surprise those people are driven by hate <laughs> those people <are> dri- <laughs> yes, what a surprise right. Breitbart's driven by opposition to things instead of uh being for something um yeah did you notice, too, that uh, Tom Cotton this morning, uh, who's like yes. Donald Trump's wingman, basically, um, he's he's like a, he's like a, the next Donald Trump from Arkansas, not exactly a liberal state, and Tom Cotton is anything but liberal. He started tweeting that the bill uh, cannot pass the Senate. He told his colleagues in the House to start over. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago when we had these town halls, and we were telling all these people to go to your town halls and to... Make noise and, you know, hold your representative accountable. Um, Tom Cotton's town hall in Arkansas was particularly well attended. And a lot of people (laughs) um, who signed up for Move On and Indivisible and all these different groups, they went to his town hall, a lot of uh, people from Arkansas, and they told really moving stories about what losing coverage would mean to them uh, with Tom Cotton there. And I'd like to think that had a little bit of an effect on the senator from Arkansas. You or do you yeah. just
3: think it's bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> I like, I want to believe that because I want to believe that the people who went to that town hall impacted the man, but I think it's more likely. I think that the town halls have made this very hard and it's why this is going to be hard to pass the Senate. So, shout out to everyone who went to the town halls. This was very important. I think Tom Cotton is would prefer, I think he wants Breitbart to be nice to him. And so that's why he's doing what he's doing.
0: Yeah. Although it is, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that the state which benefits most from uh, or probably has the, one of the highest numbers of people on or percentages of people on Medicaid uh, and people who are using the tax credits as part of the Affordable Care Act to buy insurance is the state of Arkansas. Like it is a particularly poor state. There are a lot of people on Medicaid in that state. There are a lot of people who can't afford their health care there. So this is his constituency too, you know. Um but you're right. It's a win-win for him because Breitbart's against the bill and he needs the right and also his actual constituents need health care. So probably works out well for him.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I guess we will know the answer to this when uh, – if something moves in the Senate and he is for a more generous, less assholey version of health care. I suspect he's going to be on the side of assholey. Yeah. It's a policy term by the I, way.
0: That's <laughs> – it's a, it's a term of art.
3: Yeah. This is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's more great show coming your way.
2: Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Reclaim your time. Now that you can listen to four weekly ads-free episodes across PodSave America and PodSave the World, there's never been a better time to join Cricket's Friend of the Pod subscription community. The
3: marketing people say that listening ads free saves you up to two hours of ad listening each month. Imagine the possibilities. You know what you can do with two extra hours a week? You can listen to, listen two- to more podcasts. Exactly. Uh, two
0: more episodes. That's yeah. two more episodes. Yeah. Get more stuff in your brain. Yeah. Get more stuff in that or brain. We're stuffing content in there like, yeah, uh, like you're a fog rod. Just- <laughs> <laughs> Become a member today. Go to slash friends now to learn more. So, did you see uh, Jonathan Chait tweeted this this morning because it's not like I watch Tucker Carlson's show on uh, Fox News? But last night, Tucker Carlson had Paul Ryan on. And I think Paul Ryan was like all prepped to talk about, you know, he thought he was going to have to defend this bill from the right, you know. But at one point, Carlson asks him, like, why did you include this huge tax cut for the rich in this bill? Like, why did you need to do that? And you can see Paul Ryan literally gulp. (laughs) and basically all he said was uh, i'm not concerned about that and this will help (laughs) this tax cut will uh, help us do tax reform later on so basically his answer was this tax cut for the rich will help us provide more tax cuts for the rich later on down the road
3: Which is what America is yearning for. I mean, (laughs) asking Paul Ryan why you include this tax cut for the rich is like asking someone why gravity exists. Like, (laughs) you can't answer it. Like, it just is, right?
0: I I don't think there's any politician more out of touch with what the American people want than Paul Ryan. (laughs) There is no Republican. There is no, like, Donald Trump is more in touch. Democrats are more in touch. Like, Paul Ryan believes there is a constituency for tax cuts for rich people that just does not exist, except among really rich people.
3: I don't understand it. That's who, that's who he hangs out with. I mean, he yeah. prays to the ghost of Anne Rand and Jack Kemp. Like that is his deal. And so he did. I would give him credit for nothing. Actually, take that back. I'm not giving him credit for anything. <laughs> Fuck him. Like, <laughs> so here's my
0: question: Why um, they've had seven years? Seven years ago, this month, Obamacare passed. The Affordable Care Act was signed into law. Uh, why did this go so poorly? They've had seven years to come up with a replacement plan.
3: The reason this went so poorly is the same reason it took them seven years to come up with a replacement plan is, and I, I think we'll, we'll probably talk to Ezra about this, but there is no, I mean, Obamacare, the model of Obamacare was Romney care in Massachusetts, which was the conservative alternative or the Republican alternative to Hillary care, the single payer. Clinton administration plan in the 90s. And so there is no place to the right of the Affordable Care Act that still gives people coverage. And so there's no answer to this, right? There is no – like the easier thing for them to do is to to abide by – our really sweet merch t-shirts and say, repeal it, repeal and go fuck yourself, right? right? Repeal it, go back to where we were, but trying to come up with an alt, the replace part is the problem because they do not, they understand the politics of having, of taking healthcare away from people is bad. So there has to be something that keeps, gives people healthcare, but you can't do it in any way that works. That is not the affordable care act and would also mollify the Republican base. Who doesn't want people to have healthcare? So it's a moot point. Like, you can hear it in Tom Price, the secretary of HHS, who was in the, at the White House briefing room the other day, basically stalling as long as possible so Sean Spicer wouldn't have to ask, unco- answer uncomfortable questions about Donald Trump's wiretapping tweets. <laughs> but the question – oh, no, the, I take that back. was not actually Price. It was Mick Mulvaney, the free, former Freedom Caucus member, now head of OMB, mm-hmm. who was asked the question, how many people going to cover? And he's like, insurance is the wrong question. <laughs> it's not about how many people you cover it's about how many people get to go to a doctor well that's what,
0: what? how do you what that i saw that what the fuck are you talking about how do you think people go to the doctor insurance lets you go to the doctor what you're the you're the you're the head of the office of management and budget come on
3: Yeah, it's just – well, that's – they know. They're in a box because they – whenever the CBO is let out out from underneath Paul Ryan's desk and is allowed to give an estimate of the budget of this bill, it's going to mean that millions, maybe as many as 10 to 15 million people are going to lose health insurance under this plan. And so they are trying to shift the argument away from who has health insurance. But that is not – that's how our system works. That's how you get health care. That's how it's paid for is insurance. So –
0: yeah, I they're kind of fucked.
3: Like that—that's where it is.
0: If if Republicans were honest, when I say Republicans, I mean most most Republican politicians. There are conservative policy wonks who do believe that government should play a role in health care. Um, but you know, a lot of these Republican politicians, particularly those in the Freedom Caucus and those at the far right of the party, their belief is that the federal government should play no role in um, guaranteeing that people have basic health care. That's just what they believe. They believe the market does it better and the government shouldn't do it. Um, they cannot tell that truth because they know that it is an incredibly unpopular truth. And when Trump ran for president, Trump did not run for president on a campaign where he said, um, I want to get the government out of health care. And I don't think everyone should have guaranteed access to health care. Trump's campaign was, I want to repeal Obamacare and replace it with something better. I want everybody to have health insurance. He promised he wouldn't touch Medicare or Medicaid. He promised he would not touch Medicare or Medicaid. This bill seriously guts Medicaid. So he's already broken a key campaign promise. Um, But when you you look at polls of of how people think about Obamacare, there are a significant number of people who are against Obamacare, who are opposed to Obamacare. But when you ask them, people aren't opposed to Obamacare because it gives them too much health care. People are opposed because they either can't always see the doctor they want to see or their premiums are still too high or their deductibles are still too high. And, you know, for a long time, Republicans have been saying, oh, well, we'll fix that. When we get rid of Obamacare, we'll fix that. And what they did, but the only way to fix that is to pump more money into the system or to have a public option or to increase Medicaid. You know, like all of the solutions to fix the problems of Obamacare would cost more money. Or they would require more regulation, and Republicans are against those things. So they have been bullshitting people for seven years about what the problems of Obamacare really are, and now that they're in power, they have to do something about it, and they can't.
3: Yeah, their problem with Obamacare is the Obama part of care. <laughs> they made a political decision, and it was not an unwise political decision in the short term to try to hang the hang health, changes in the health system around. Barack Obama, so that even the things that had nothing to do with the Affordable Care Act or Barack Obama, like if you are if you have employer-sponsored health care and your premiums go up, they they were going up before the Affordable Care Act. They were going up after the Affordable Care Act. It's not necessarily related to the Affordable Care Act. They wanted to hang everything in the health care system around Barack Obama, and they didn't come up with a – even though they promised every six weeks to come up with a, a quote-unquote replace bill, they never did because – it was impossible and, and politically in politically unpalatable, so they didn't do it. And so now they are the dog that caught the car. If you remember, in after uh, we won in 2012, John Boehner said that this means the efforts to repeal Obamacare are over. I'm. I'm Right, screwing up his quote, but he basically said, "Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is here to stay," mm-hmm. and no one listened to him, and they they got themselves all twisted up, and they wanted to run on it one more time in 2016. Not really Trump, but the rest of the Republicans, and now they're in there. I think their thought was, "Well, Trump will lose, and Hillary Clinton will be there, and we can say we can't. Well, maybe we'll vote to repeal, but we won't ever have to do anything." But now they have to do something, and they're not very good at. It. Also, they don't know how to legislate. No. They're Paul Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, and the rest of these doofuses are terrible at their jobs. <laughs> well,
0: look, like there's Don- a pretty good there's- Donald Trump winning the presidency did not change the problems that House Republicans have had in passing bills that they've had since the John Boehner days, right? Like the calculus, the problems they've had with we we saw this with the debt ceiling, we saw this with all the budgets, we saw this with everything else. Like they can't pass anything through that House, <laughs> or at least they can't pass anything through that House that Republicans and Democrats can pass through the Senate. Like, that's been a problem for the last eight
3: years. Yeah, and there are still – they've basically killed off the moderates in the Republican House. And there are still people in the Senate like Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins and um, who make this very challenging. And so they still need 50 – even if they get this through the House, which we should talk about whether we think they're going to do that or not. But they still need 50 senators because they're using – reconciliation, something they called deeply inappropriate and irresponsible when we use it to pass health, the Affordable Care Act. But yeah, you know, what what can you do?
0: Hypocrisy is dead. Um, yes, as but, is irony. Well, <laughs> so yeah, let's let's talk about the politics of them passing this, because you know I think some people are saying, oh, it's dead on arrival. It's not gonna it's not gonna go anywhere. You know, I don't think I don't think Paul Ryan keeps pushing this and keeps talking about it. Uh, if it's dead on arrival, right? So yes, all of these, a lot of House Republicans, particularly conservative House Republicans, have said we're against this bill. The White House and Ryan have said, okay, well, it's an opening, it's an opening position. We're open for negotiation. Um, so what do we think could happen to get this thing through? Uh, and we should put some numbers up for people here. Uh, the two numbers, the two numbers you should keep in mind are three and twenty-two. Uh, 22 Republican defections in the house kill this bill. So if any more than 22 Republicans oppose it, it's over. Um, and in the Senate, as you mentioned, uh, all they need is three Republican defections kill this bill. So 22 in the house, three in the, uh, three in the Senate. So what do what do you think happens in the house here?
3: Well, I saw this story somewhere, somewhere on the internet, um, where <laughs> it's like Ryan, Ryan, uh, Paul Ryan makes Joe Namath-like pledge that this will pass, meaning for people who are not 80, that, like Joe Namath, former <laughs> football quarterback, guaranteed they would win the Super Bowl, and then they won the Super Bowl. Right. But the the reason why that is stu- – basically Ryan, what Ryan said was, it when this comes to the floor, I guarantee you'll get 218 votes. Well, that would be like if Joe Namath swore they were going to win – but then could decide whether they were going to play or not based on whether he counted the touchdowns up in advance. It, this will not go to the floor if they don't have 218.
0: Right. He, right? Won't, he, won't, so, he won't suffer a defeat on the floor.
3: Yeah. So they'll know him in advance. And so I think I would be surprised and maybe even a little heartened if they cannot get something through the house. Right. Right. It, like it But, you don't, think, but you don't think they
0: get the bill in this exact form through the house? Or do you?
3: I think it seems I think I mean we're not in the prediction business, right. so you're trying to trick me here.
0: I would be <laughs> I surprised. guess we should lay out various scenarios of what could happen.
3: Yes. So one scenario is this bill being marked up passes with exact the exact right number like basically two eighteen. They get it through, send it to the Senate.
0: And if that happens, Another scenario if that happens, is, basically it happened because all of these House Republicans who said they were against the bill. Got screamed at by Donald Trump. Um, decided that they don't have any principles of their own. Are afraid that he might tweet at them or like come to their districts, and so they just buckle under the pressure and say, "Yeah, even though I oppose the bill, now I'm supporting it anyway because it's better than nothing." That that that's the scenario where it passes as is right now.
3: Another scenario, and I think what Paul Ryan wants more than anything else is to get something out of the House, dump this turd burger in Mitch McConnell's lap, and then. <laughs> you know, raise his hands up and say, I did what I did. It's up to you now knowing right. that it probably does not get through there. Or it's what I think is very unlikely is you get this bill through the house and you get this exact bill through the Senate. I, the Senate does not like to rubber stamp house bills. Right. Like that's not a thing they really do. And so then the Senate passes something. They send it back. So the process goes on for a long time. Uh, so option. So option one is he gets it through. Option two is he meets with the freedom caucus. They tell him like five things they need he goes back, they make the changes, they jam it through again, and they get it. It's hard to see, though, what – if you listen to the criticisms of the members of the Freedom Caucus, what they hate is the part of the bill that gives health care to people. <laughs> I so, was going to say,
0: as this bill cha- – if, if this bill gets through the House because of changes made to it, the changes do not make the bill better. That it makes it worse. It makes it, makes And when we say worse, I mean it means uh, fewer people – basically more people will lose their coverage sooner. So like one of the things that the Freedom Caucus wants is – um, right now, it's basically saying Medicaid starts getting phased out in 2020. Um, this is this would you know the Freedom Caucus wants it to be cut by 2018. I just saw another Freedom Caucus proposal this morning that said freeze all enrollment in Medicaid by 2017. Right, um, which seems it's like just in time for the midterm elections. Brilliant political ploy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. those are the kind of things that could happen to this bill to help make it more palatable to House conservatives and get it through the House. But like you yeah. said. If that happens, it makes it even more unpalatable to um, more moderate Republicans in the Senate.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is the, as you point out, this has been the problem for Republicans for a long time. Anything that gets two eighteen in the House can't get out of the Senate, right? Now that was certainly true with sixty senators. It is, uh, it may still be true if you need fifty, as they would for this. Um, the other alternative is. Paul Ryan says, fuck it, and goes back and just passes the full repeal bill that they passed 112 Mm -hmm. times before and sends that to the Senate.
0: (laughs) And then Mitch McConnell just says, what, are you joking?
3: (laughs) It's not clear to me that you could even – I don't think you can pass that same full repeal bill on the 50 voter, right?
0: Right. Oh, you can't. I'm not sure that that is – No, because you can't – anything that changes regulations – or anything that basically any change to the bill that does not affect the budget, meaning does not affect you know money that the government spends, um, you need sixty votes to pass in the Senate. So, so <laughs> who knows? I don't, who knows?
3: Anything, anything can
0: happen. Well, so one more thing here is is Trump basically was in a, a closed door meeting yesterday with conservatives and said uh, he wants that he's he's fully behind this bill. He wants it to pass, you know, he wants it to be called Trumpcare. No, he actually doesn't, but we're going to do that anyway. Um, and he, But he did say if Trump Care dies, his plan is to let Obamacare fail and then blame Democrats in 2018. What do we think about that plan?
3: Sign me up. I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> I mean – That's great.
0: Yeah, I could see this. I mean I can see the thinking behind this plan is that right now, you know – um, you have some insurers saying that they won out of the Obamacare exchanges, but and, you know there were premium increases last year. Uh, a lot of healthcare experts think that these premium increases were like a one-time adjustment so that the market sort of was working out how much healthcare is going to be uh, actually priced at and that it won't happen again. Uh, some of the biggest insurers are still on the market. Um, but I guess what Trump would bet on then is he says, OK, that we had a bill. We tried to pass it. Uh, It got blocked in the Senate because of Democrats and weak Republicans, weak, bad Republicans like Susan Collins. You know, he's not afraid to attack Republicans. And in 2018, he goes out there and says, vote, vote more, uh, you know, vote Republican. Give me more Republicans in the House and Senate so we can finally repeal this disaster of Obamacare and replace it with something incredible. Um, Because, you know, right now that your premiums are up and you can't afford it. And it's in a death spiral. So vote Republican and we'll finally replace it with something fantastic. What do you think? What do you think of that argument?
3: I, I think Trump has wanted to do this for a while. He's hinted at this idea several times. That basically healthcare seems really hard, uh, and therefore, what what a brilliant plan we could do nothing and just blame Democrats. Now you have to believe things that aren't true about the actual state of the Affordable Care Act, which is um,
0: not a problem for.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think right, right. If you just Never listen been to Fox a and friends, you'll totally get it. <laughs> yeah. I I'm not sure that would work because I'm not sure what they are. They are stuck between two suboptimal options. Right. One is pass this messy shitburger of a bill that hurts people and is filled with a bunch of like really great like this would be a stimulus package for Democratic ad makers. It is filled with so much great stuff. Um, yeah, to that are just they they're made for ads. Basically, the people who are affected most by this. Are older voters who voted for Trump, right? Right. So you can you can do so much here about what their premiums are going to do. remember people lose health coverage, the tax breaks for the wealthy. I mean, it's it's tailor made. It's basically like political suicide pact. Like yeah, and they're all going to
0: they're all right going to take the vote on this bill, uh, or they're all you yeah. know they're going to be on record supporting it. And so you can hit them with being in support of this really this basically huge tax cut for rich people yeah. while stripping health care away from millions of others, whether it passes or not. Um, I do think a lot of people – I mean the problem with Trump's argument there in 2018 is a lot of people will look at this whole situation, scratch their heads and say, wait a minute. Republicans control both houses of Congress and the presidency. They've been trying to say that they were going to replace Obamacare for seven years, and they failed to do it, and they're saying it's the Democrats' fault.
3: Like, Yeah. that I think that's the, – the question is impact on base enthusiasm. I don't right. have any real sense of how much – the like I understand how much the Freedom Caucus and Heritage Action and those groups care about this, but I don't I don't know is this really the animating is this still the animating issue for the Republican based voters they need in twenty eighteen or are there other things they are doing on the immigration front you know getting you know getting rid of some Obama are there other things they could do that could keep people fired up right um, this was an interesting strategic choice to pick. Healthcare first, tax reform second. Um, yeah, so be, I don't know. I mean,
0: because the longer they wait on healthcare reform, the harder it's going to be to do tax reform because yeah. you sort of like this is the way this order. I mean, McConnell's saying, yeah, I'll have a vote in April, but like if we continue to delay this, stretch this out, fight this, try to improve the bill or Democrats, or impre- whatever it may be, um, you know, you start pushing this into May, June, July, then like his whole agenda is. Trying to figure out healthcare. Unless unless he lets healthcare die a quick death. And then I don't know. I mean the other problem for Trump is he hates losing. And there's no way to spin that this is anything but a loss if if he can't get this through the Senate.
3: One of the advantages of being a delusional narcissist is you can convince yourself of anything. So we I mean, do just blame Paul Ryan or he'll blame Harry Chuck Schumer, fake tears Schumer, or all talk, no action, John Lewis, any of his favorite punching bags.
0: Yeah, well, he's going to, he's going to Kentucky on Saturday because Rand Paul is against this bill. Rand Paul is not against this bill because well, it's, um, you know, too conservative, but because it's not conservative enough, of course. And so Trump is well, going I... to Kentucky on Saturday to, I don't know, to like hang out with the governor of Kentucky, Matt Bevan, and put pressure on Rand Paul, I guess.
3: Yeah, there's some confusion here. I saw a reporting this morning in one of the uh, premier tip sheets uh, <laughs> that said that it's actually Pence who's going to go. Oh. and that he that but then Trump's going to go like a week or two later or something. But either way, whoever's going, this is a, to me a very strange strategy, because. If you have if you were to pick a list of members who are least likely to buckle to a Trump visit to their state it would be Rand Paul. Yeah. He just got reelected. He has always been sort of somewhat outside the party establishment. He doesn't really like Trump and he kind of gets off on this stuff. Like this is his thing is to be a quasi independent ish libertarian. And so you're going to go there, you're going to harangue him. And then he's going to have the same position as before. You know, I don't, I don't understand the logic of it. Some people have argued that this is a message to all those house, and also the bill is in the house, and Rand Paul's in the Senate, so that's another that's another small detail. Some people have argued, uh, the people who tend to view genius and all things Trumps does, uh, which is a dwindling number, but they still exist and they still write – morning tip sheets, uh, that (laughs) he, that is, uh, the one big goal that this is sending a message to conservative members of the house that if you oppose Trump, he will come to your district. Right. I mean, that required, that is like, be afraid uh, like several logical leaps. Yeah.
0: One last question for you. How how do you think, uh, how do you think Democrats are handling this? Do you think it's just sort of step back and Watch this thing implode. I'm I have to say before before you answer, I'm a little I'm a little concerned about us getting into a oh, look at this is such a disaster. Look what Trump did, look what Ryan did. They can't agree on anything. This thing's gonna implode or whatever. And we sort of like step back because of that, aka the whole twenty sixteen campaign. <laughs> um so I, I do want people out there like I think every, you know. I think by the April recess, which is coming in a couple of weeks, this thing will not have been voted on in the Senate for sure. So I think we have to, like, rev up the town hall machine again. People have to be calling their congressmen and congresspeople. People have to make a lot of noise about this. Like, I don't think we can give an inch on this because, like I said, betting on any outcome that requires Republicans to stand on principle is a, uh, is a loser. So you've got to actually make it happen.
3: <laughs> yes, I, I totally agree. I think that this— Is a great one. This is incredibly important. This is the preserving the Affordable Care Act. Is the most important policy thing the Democrats have the opportunity to do over the next four years. Hundred percent. It it matters to actual people. People live and die based on access to health care. And if we fail at this, people will die. I know that sounds dramatic. It's true, but it's true.
0: It's not dramatic. It's true. It's dramatic and true.
3: And the like. Right now we're fighting a thousand fights and, you know, I think we should fight all the fights. The base wants us to fight the fights. These are fights worth having. But if you want to – this is a great place to channel all of that energy into something really important. And we should not – you're exactly right. Let's not adopt the 2016 campaign strategy of let the Republicans defeat themselves. Like we have to be aggressively – Push our message here. We have to push the narrative on what this is. We have to hone the messages we'll be using on the campaign trail about this. Yeah. Put as much pressure on people as possible, both in the House and in the Senate.
0: I'd like to see some Even Democrats go stop. to some districts and give some big rally speeches with crowds and talk about why they're against this and what their vision of healthcare is. You know, like I don't, I don't stay in Washington and like issue statements. Yeah. Get out there. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I
3: think the 2020 candidates, like or let me put this: the people who are big name Democrats who draw crowds, right? Like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, or Kamala Harris, should or Cory Booker or whoever else should get out there, go to some of these Republican states and hold rallies, right? Yep. Like I know it's it's not you know Senate etiquette to uh, <laughs> fuck Senate etiquette, you know, campaign. Yeah, exactly. Fuck Senate etiquette. It's also not Senate. It's not, it's not proper etiquette to take health care away from people who need it. So get out there, you know, speak to the voters in those states, fire up the Democratic base. You know, I think, I think that would be very well received and impactful. Agree. Even if it makes lunch in the Senate dining room awkward.
0: Oh, heaven forbid. Okay. When we come back, we will have the founder of Vox.com, Ezra Klein. This is Pod America. Stick around. There's this great stuff coming. Lots of great stuff.
2: every monday plus bonuses whenever the supreme court takes away another one of our rights make sure to subscribe to strict scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts
0: on the pod today we have the founder of vox.com and the host of the ezra klein show podcast ezra klein ezra welcome to the pod good to be here glad we finally got you on haven't talked to you in a while.
1: Yeah, it's true. It has been a bit. Well, it's because nothing's been going on to talk about.
0: It's been very quiet. It's <laughs> right. There has not been a lot of policy. Um, very chill. So let's talk about the uh, the American Healthcare Act. Everyone's favorite. Acha. <laughs> so <laughs> you, I think yesterday or today, talked to Mitt Romney's former policy advisor uh, Lanhee Chen about this bill. Uh, who and he had tweeted out, "This is a good start, right?" So he's one of the sort of the few policy wonks on the conservative side to say, okay, I think this is not a bad bill. So what was his case for this legislation?
1: I, from, <laughs> I, having done that interview, um, and I, I really appreciated Lonnie, Lonnie walking through it with me, I don't know that I can fully give you a, this is, a, this is his case for legislation. Look, I, I think Lonnie and I think a lot of Republicans really, really loathe Obamacare. Um, I think they see a lot of problems in it. And, and there are definitely things in this bill they like. So if you're if you're running down the list of what Republicans are really happy about in ACHA, uh, I think the list would look like this.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Many aren't happy about, they don't like the fact that it allows more Medicaid enrollment until 2020. But the fact that it moves Medicaid to a per capita block grant, basically, after 2020, uh, and begins to cut, we think, due to where they put the inflation measure, begins to cut spending on the program after that is a very big deal to conservatives. And, and in case that's a little complicated, what they're, right now, the way Medicaid works is it, it, it pays what the state needs paid. So what it, depending on, you know, if you, get an, if you get an unhealthy state, right, if Arkansas has a terrible flu epidemic and everybody in Arkansas needs a lot more care who's on Medicaid and prices rise, the federal government pays those prices, and in, in it's matched with Arkansas. The way this would work is a state would get a set amount of money per person or actually per type of person, something different for kids, different for disabled adults, uh, and then that amount of money would not grow as fast as often health costs have. Uh, so it's a way of cutting spending on the program, and then it's also, of course, a way of shrinking the program by attrition, by freezing its enrollment. A lot of conservatives like these age-based flat tax credits uh, I, I don't think actually Lonnie is one of them. Um, I think that looking at things that, that he's been involved in before and some things he said to me, I think he would like to see a little bit more recognition of income problems at the bottom end. But overall, I think conservatives are happy about a move towards a flat age-based system away from income. Conservatives really do feel like it is a very strong thing. Paul Ryan is a very big believer that being uh, getting generous healthcare subsidies if you're poor is a strong disincentive to working, like a strong, strong disincentive to working. It is part of the government hammock. You know, and then there's just the general allure of beginning to move healthcare policy in a more conservative direction. Uh, I'll, I'll say finally, and, and we can go on any piece of this you want, but I was just watching, Paul Ryan gave a PowerPoint presentation on this bill.
0: I saw he was rolling and up his sleeves, sleeves before we started recording.
1: He <laughs> rolling up his sleeves. It, it, it had a lot of clip art. It was <laughs> It was uh, there, There's a lot of fascinating things that happen in Congress, but PowerPoint presentation design is not, is not one of the fields are on the forefront of. <laughs> but the, the, the choice that he presented to conservatives at the end, and I thought this was interesting, and it's what a lot of Freedom Caucus folks are reacting to, was he said, look, this is our only chance. This is our only possibility. Like, we do this, and we get Obamacare repealed and replaced, and we get to begin moving health care in a more conservative direction— or we don't, and he is presenting a process that makes it a bipart—I'm uh, sorry—a binary choice, right? He's not really letting there be significant amendments. They're not opening up the bill. They're not giving people time to consider it. So what he is really trying to present his conference with, and then they want to do the same thing in the Senate, I believe, is a yes or no, real quick, snap reaction vote on this. And I think that for a lot of conservative healthcare folks, you know, if, he, if it comes down to yes or no, this or nothing. There is some appeal to this, although I think that will end up being a if they do it that way, I think they will end up regretting having made that decision pretty
3: bitterly. And why do you think they would regret that politically, policy wise? They will
1: regret it because this bill, this bill is terribly put together. It is terribly put together and they do not. This is one of these things I need to like. Actually, you guys know me. Like, I'm a pretty calm person. <laughs> I do not feel calm about this.
0: <laughs> I could tell that. Um, I could tell that came through in your writing about and this. The but yeah,
1: in the way this bill is being designed and pushed. It's breathtaking. Like, it, it is literally one of those things where I don't know how you can trust something any of these folks say again. This bill, after they complained that oh, the 15-month process that led to Obamacare was a rush job is being jammed down the country's throat. Nobody had time to figure out what it was. They complained endlessly that they only had preliminary CBO scores and not full CBO scores. They jammed this through committee before they had anything from the Congressional Budget Office. And the reason I, I really focus on that for a second here is not that there's some magic thing about the Congressional Budget Office or that I am just standing on some point of procedural principle. It's because none of them know how this bill works. They have not seen any serious estimates of what it would do. And the seventh most senior Republican on the Energy and Commerce Committee has no clue what it would do in their district. They don't know how the different pieces of this would interact with each other. They are moving this bill before they have not even not thought about how it works, but they haven't even tried to have somebody figure it out. They don't. The the strangest thing, they do not seem to want to know. I have this line in a piece that, that may come out later That they know not what they're doing and they like it that way. (laughs) And this bill, the way it is structured, oh, there is going to be so much chaos on the other end of this. I'll just give you one example. I don't think they've thought at all, um, seriously enough, about what the age-based tax credits actually do. So the way the tax credits work in Obamacare, as you guys both know, is they're not just tied to income. They're tied to the cost of plans in your local area. Right. So the tax credit covers a percentage of the cost of the plan, and then uh, that percentage differs based on your income. The reason that's important
3: is these
1: plans are really, really differently priced depending on whether you live in Los Angeles, which is an urban area with a lot of plan competition, or rural Alaska, where there's a lot of there's a lot of difficulty in designing health care and, and uh, delivering health care over such a large, expanse of land. There's very little competition. So you're all of a sudden going to be giving people uh, credits that are, one, non-responsive to their income. So if they are poor, they just, it just is not in many places going to be enough to buy health insurance. And two, non-responsive to the cost of plans in their local area. And it doesn't matter how fast you pass this sentence. Well, that- and it doesn't matter how many times you say you're appealed on a place to care, At some point, those cancellation notices go out. And as your administration found out... You can't hide from
0: that. Well, so my question is timing on this, right? Because in my mind, one of the answers to why they're doing this and don't really give a shit is they're thinking, well, like, I mean, if you look at the Medicaid, um, you know, stopping the Medicaid expansion in 2020, right? Like they want to, as usual, like push the problems that are going to happen off into the distance. But what, like, if they pass this bill in May, right, like what are some of the immediate effects that people would actually notice from the repeal of Obamacare? Or the replacement?
1: It will depend on on the part of Obamacare. Mm -hmm. So there's transition plans all throughout the bill. And I should say, I mean, this is something the Democrats did too. Obamacare was passed in 2010, didn't really go into effect until 2014. Some of the taxes were pushed off until 2018. So this isn't fully a Republican innovation here. But I think if if I remember the timing of the bill right, The subsidy changeover happens in 2018, which also to me is a little bit breathtaking, because they're going to be in an election year, and all of these people are going to get subsidies that are going to say, actually, you can't afford health insurance anymore, or the health insurance you can't afford has a way higher deductible, way higher co-pays, covers way less, may not have your doctor in it. Um, There's going to be a lot of angry people, and it's a much bigger thing with much less generosity than when your guys' cancellation of plans went out. So that'll happen in 2018. 2020 you can't sign up for Medicaid anymore so one thing people expect will happen is a rush of states you could actually as a state sign up for Medicaid next year sign up for the expansion enroll people until 2020 and have those people covered going forward so there will be people expect erased the people on the program until then, then we have all these people on the program. Um, They continue to get covered. It's just if they cycle off off of it at all, they get a job so their income goes up, they can't ever come back on it. But now 2020 is an election year. And so now Democrats are going to be running on a platform of both fixing, I think, a lot of this chaos and expanding the Medicaid uh, and recreating the Medicaid expansion, which now more states are going to be bought into in a sort of vague way or in a sort of unusual way. So the the direct the times at which this is going to affect them to be different in different places. The other question that we just don't know is the insurance industry is an independent actor here. Right. Uh so far we have seen very little positive comment on this bill. In fact we've seen almost unified opposition from every major player in the healthcare industry. But insurers are going to look at this and they're going to say, Okay do we want to be in these markets? These markets have already not been particularly profitable for us, the Obamacare exchanges. And particularly in places like Arizona or Alaska where it's not been a a great deal, it's about to get worse. So do we want to stay into it? And it may be that a lot of them just leave. A lot of these markets collapse. One thing that was notable about the way Obamacare is is structured, um, my colleague, Matt Iglesias, uh, he made this good point, uh, we have a podcast of Weeds, which is all about policy, and he made this good point on it that I haven't heard, but he noted the way Obamacare works is because the subsidies are tied to the cost of a plan. Uh, even if you only get one carrier in a market, it's usually very profitable for there to be at least one carrier, because that carrier can then do more or less monopoly pricing. Right. Because for the poor or the near poor, um, Ob- the federal government will cover really whatever it is the carrier is pricing out. So in places where it's not naturally profitable for carriers to be in there, there really is Here's a good reason for one carrier to be there. That ends under this plan. So all of a sudden, it's not necessarily profitable for a carrier to be there because folks are getting a low, flat tax credit that is completely non-responsive to the local um, expenses. And so to sit there and lose money in the Alaska Exchange or the Arizona Exchange, you're going to see a lot of death spirals pretty quickly. So this yeah. legislation
0: could lead to more insurance companies pulling out of markets, which is one of the problems. Or
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it would almost certainly. Now, look. We'll have to see what kinds of deals and um, cajoling the Trump administration would try to put into play to keep them in there. Mm-hmm. I believe there's a $100 billion stabilization fund in here to try to pay off, more or less, to pay off insurance companies and to do high risk bulls and to try to create a transition here that can work. But pretty much everybody I've talked to who's looked at this, and this includes a number of conservative uh, healthcare walks, have said, yeah, this is, I mean, th- this is a recipe for. If not full-on death spirals, many of them think that you will have full-on death spirals where the markets become completely non, uh, non-usable. Uh, at the very least, really, really significant pricing problems and very little
3: competition. I know we don't know exactly the answer to these questions. going to have CBO yet, but do you have any sense of how this is paid for and what that means for the deficit?
1: So it isn't paid for. That, that's the first thing to know about it. So this bill, <laughs> among others, is a Billion billion tax cut. But you guys remember, I mean, this is one of these things. I I don't like being in this position. I want to be coming here and telling you that Republicans are, are playing this on the level that, yeah, their ideas are different, but, but there's merit to them. You know, like, I would like to come off as a fair guy. Like, I enjoy that. I enjoy when people say, oh, that Ezra Klein. <laughs> like, he's, he's a nice fellow. Gets both sides. I was there <laughs> when... They, I was there when Paul Ryan stood up at the Blair House, like watching onto the television, not living in the Blair House, and explained all the ways in which Obamacare is fiscally irresponsible, despite the fact that it cut the deficit in the first 10 years, which has proved true, and then cut it by more in the out years. This plan begins with a $600 billion uh, tax cut. There's no way, there's no new revenue source anywhere in the plan. So what we expect to happen is in the first 10 years, it will probably increase the deficit, with the only possible exception to that being if CBO expects such massive losses in coverage that it just cuts the expense of the plan that much, right? Uh-huh. So unless the plan is really going to throw 15 or 20 million people off of health insurance, um, you're going to see a deficit increase in the first 10 years. Again, I have not seen a CBO score, so possibly there's something here going on that neither I nor anybody else has found, but, but that's, what, that's what I'm hearing. The thing that they're going to try to do is say, the first 10 years aren't really what matters. What matters is the long term the second 10 years the third 10 years and what they're doing there is they're building into the medicaid changes massive cuts and the cuts take two forms the first is they freeze enrollment onto medicaid starting in 2020 so all you know in on a 10 year time frame a 15 year time frame basically the medicaid expansion disappears completely so all of the expense around the medicaid expansion is gone the second is that they're tying medicaid down to this per capita spending plan, and then they're tying the growth of those checks to, um, I think it's CPIM, which is the inflation index that tracks medical goods, which is not the same as how much healthcare actually costs, but it's, you can get very complicated there, but we expect that will be a cut too. So really the way it's going to save money the long term is it's going to have these, these big Medicaid cuts. And so it's going to be in in the end, a very large tax cut for rich people paid for by cutting health care for the poorest people. And I'll say, you don't have to listen to me on this. a guy named Obik Roy, who's been one of Obamacare's most consistent and committed critics, he uh, advised Mitt Romney on health care. He was Marco Rubio's policy guy. He was Rick Perry's policy guy. His conservative credentials are pretty good. And he said you know, it is usually false when liberals accuse us of being, you know, like, scroogey fat cats who are <laughs> cutting taxes on the rich to, to and paying for it by hurting the poor. But that's what that's what this does.
0: We really nailed it this time. Like, that's
1: just It's a raw mechanical math
0: problem here. <laughs> that's what they are doing. So, in the interest of being fair, which I know you want to do, like, what would a plan that actually fixes the Affordable Care Act or improves the Affordable Care Act look like? That maybe... Well, actually, maybe this, is, this is two different questions. But one, I was going to say, what does a plan that fixes the Affordable Care Act look like? And two, what is a plan that fixes the Affordable Care Act look like that still hues somewhat to conservative principles?
1: So, so let, me, let me maybe answer the second first. Okay. The, the really big problem conservatives have on health care, and this is something Lonnie Chen said to me, it's something conservative health care people complain to about to me all the time, is that conservatives do not share goals on health care. There are some conservatives who, like Democrats, like most people, believe that the goals of healthcare are to get more people covered and to make it affordable. So you got them. Uh, Mitt Romney is maybe a person in this tradition, right? Does, that's what the Massachusetts reforms are about. Then there are the folks who say, eh, coverage isn't that important. Uh, what really matters is controlling cost, they want to make a more market based system. Uh, but they don't really care about coverage and they think coverage is a fool's game for them because progressive plans will always cover more people because they're just willing to spend money to do it. That's group two. And then group three does, does, want, does not want a federal role in healthcare at all. They're the folks who think any kind of tax credit is a new entitlement. Any kind of regulations are probably unconstitutional. You put your sort of Rand Paul's, um, Justin Amash's in this category. So one problem is there isn't among conservatives in the way there is among liberals an agreement on goals. So when you say, like, what would a conservative plan that fixes Obamacare look like? The problem is which conservatives? Right. Um, I can think of a lot of plans that would appeal to the. Conservative wonk community, which tends to be interested in coverage, although not all of them are. Uh, And you know, one thing that I thought was interesting—I wrote a piece about this. Tom Price uh, and Tammy Baldwin. This was back in 2006. They co-sponsored a bill in the House, and Tammy Baldwin, who's now a senator from Wisconsin, is a very liberal member. Tom Price is obviously Donald Trump's HHS secretary. And what that bill did was create conditions for states to come up with their own healthcare plans. And just said, hey, if you can improve coverage and lower costs, we'll let you do what you want. And I, you know, argued in this piece that one thing that they could do is resuscitate a plan like that. And if they really believe in federalism, they could just say, hey, we are willing to give you the money Obamacare would give you. And we're willing to take down a lot of the regulations Obamacare has on how you spend that money. You don't have to have plans that are as generous. You don't have to have plans that cover as many things. You know, we'll, we'll give you a lot more freedom. Um, now go make your own healthcare system. Uh, you know, I think in conservative states could make very conservative ones, blue states could make more more liberal systems, but you know, conservatives who argue often that as a principle they believe in federalism. As a principle they believe that policies better made by people closer to the folks that policy is affecting could say, Hey, we, we made the federal health we made the healthcare system, made it more state based, made it, you know, along conservative principles, we got out of this one size fits all federal approach um, and call the a day. I think that would have been a smarter way to go. So that, that's probably my answer on what they could have done. There are also other conservative plans that have come out that are just more thoughtful, more serious and better. But this- uh, The second thing in terms of your original question, yeah. you could do a lot of things, right? Liberals have a lot of different views from single payer to there would have been ways to add a public option. I mean, Obamacare has problems but it wouldn't have been tremendously hard to fix. The original sin of Obamacare is the subsidies are too low. And the subsidies are too low because they were trying, you guys are all trying to get under a trillion dollars under 10 years to make Nancy Pelosi and and folks feel like this bill was passable. And in the end, nobody got any credit uh, on the democratic side for trying to be more fiscally responsible. But when the subsidies were not high enough to get people the kind of health insurance with the premiums and deductibles and co-pays that they felt were reasonable, everyone paid for it. And so I think that if liberals, next time liberals are in power and they want to think about what to do with the healthcare system, I think they'd be well, uh, they would be smart to say, okay, we are just going to tax rich people enough to give the folks who want to give affordable healthcare to affordable healthcare and not make it overly complicated because they don't get credit for the other stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, that seems to me like if Democrats are running in 2018 or in 2020, probably more likely 2020, like that's the kind of plan that you're going to run on, right? Something much simpler (laughs) than what we tried to uh, do last Yeah, it goes through
1: reconciliation, right? Right. Like imagine a plan that what it said was simply this. This plan, which can pass with 51 votes in the Senate, is not going to have a bunch of delivery system reforms. It's going to do three things. It's going to allow people, it's going to allow Medicaid to cover anybody up to 300% of the poverty line Mm -hmm. and then a sliding scale up to 400%. It will allow people 50 years old and older to buy into Medicare, uh, possibly with some subsidies, possibly not. And it will increase the, and it will add a public option to the Obamacare marketplaces. Now, you'd want to, like, there are things in that plan that would require smoothing. I'm not saying it's literally a three sentence plan, but you could pass that through reconciliation. Um, it wouldn't be that hard. And you'd, you know, jack up taxes on the rich to do it. And then it's pretty done. Um, you don't have to get healthcare is complicated. And it should be, I think, if you're trying to remake the system, and you're trying to save money on the delivery side, and look, I'm a wonk, I like doing that kind of thing. But I think in a world where the issue is this polarized, and Republicans are this unwilling to play in a real way, it may be that that kind of that stuff is not worth it. I think I think folks like Ben Nelson, and all those moderate Democrats who thought they would they, be better off pulling this plan to the right, in the end, we're, we're quite wrong about that.
0: Last question, we'll let you go. Do you think that some of these more moderate Republicans in the Senate um, sort of hold their position on being against this House bill? Like, do you think, could you see a Susan Collins voting for this in the end if there's enough pressure?
1: I, I have trouble. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we've not seen what happens when Donald Trump executes a full-on legislative pressure campaign. Yeah. But so far, you have basically a pincer movement. In the Senate of conservative senators particularly Tom Cotton Mike Lee Rand Paul and Ted Cruz who are against this plan are saying they're against this plan now it's always possible there's some amendment that will will get them more on board but they're saying they're against this plan and then you have a a number of more moderate Republican senators Susan Collins Lisa Murkowski Cassidy uh, you can name a couple others probably who think the plan is not generous enough or worried about the Medicaid side of it Dean Heller from Nevada And one difficulty with this is that anything you do to satisfy one side infuriates the other side. Right. So anything you do to move the plan more towards the Mike Lees and Rand Pauls, moves it further away from the Dean Hellers and Susan Collins, and vice versa. I also think that, look, The thing that is true about this plan, as much as Ryan and others are pushing it, as much as I'm a little bit surprised how smoothly they got it out of the committee, it has been panned by every major conservative group you can think of, pretty much. Club for Growth is against it. Heritage is against it. Americans for Prosperity are against it. The conservative healthcare wonk world is against it. So these folks in the Senate are are getting a lot of pressure not to do this. The American Hospital Association is against it. Everybody's got hospitals in their state. So it it faces an uphill battle. Um, the, The question is just... How much do Republicans end up buying Paul Ryan's now or never moment? The question is whether or not they get convinced like they do not want to be holding the bag on this when it actually, if it actually goes into law. And the question is, how effective is Donald Trump at coming into their office or having them on Air Force One and saying, hey, unless you'd like a tweet from me every day at 6 a.m. for the rest of your lives, you better vote for this bill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh well we shall see as the shit show continues uh ezra thank you so much for joining us and uh and come back soon not at all thank you guys all right take care thanks man thanks again to ezra klein for joining us today again check out with friends like these tomorrow check out pod save the world and we will see you next week bye guys bye